Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read these two verses to you, and this is as far as we're going to get tonight, because uh, there's just so much here in these two verses that I can't wait to dive into it. So Paul continues on, and he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to read it to you again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, again, always we see when it starts with therefore, it's tied to something prior. If you remember, it's been a few weeks since we've been here because we took a break for, for, for Christmas and the New Year's. Remember at the very end, look at verse 32 where we left off in chapter 4. Be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And we took the time to kind of break that down. But he's just using Christ as an example. In the same way, therefore, we need to be imitators of God. Now as we deal with this whole topic of imitating God, I have to give you a warning. And I also have to want to help you remember some things we've already began to look at in our study of Ephesians. Here's your warning. <laughs> you can't imitate God. I don't know if you know that or not, but um, that's one of the things I've struggled with over the years. When people ran around in the 70s with their bracelets that said, what would Jesus do? You can't do what Jesus did unless Jesus is in you doing it. You know, I mean, just imagine this illustration that, that uh, some of you might remember Sammy Sosa. Remember Sammy Sosa? Used to play for the Cubs. Back when I used to pastor up in Chicago, we used to love to go to Cubs games and and it hit me one day how foolish it is to try to live like Jesus if you don't have Jesus in you. Imagine yourself at a Cubs game and you're sitting there in the stands and bases are loaded and there's two people out. And it's the bottom of the ninth and Sammy Sosa's up to bat. And some reason he gets sick and he can't hit. And the coach comes out and points to you in the stands and says, hey, come on down. You hit in place of Sammy Sosa. And you think to yourself, I mean, you got your what would Sammy Sosa do bracelet on and... and uh, <laughs> And you think, you know, how would, and if you've ever watched the Cubs, you remember Sammy would walk up to the plate, turn his bat around backwards, and he'd tap the umpire on the leg with the back end of his bat, and then the catcher as well, the little greeting, and then he'd do his little thing in the stance to get his, in the, in the batter's box to get the set up the way he wanted, and, you know, he'd pump that arm a couple of times. Are you going to hit it? No, because you couldn't just, in the moment, do what Sammy would have done unless you had done all that Sammy had done in the years of preparation and practice and so on. Here's the illustration that I want you to understand when it comes to living like Jesus. Folks, you can't just do what Jesus did unless Jesus himself is doing it through you. Remember what he, Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So you got to be real careful when it says be imitators of God. you got to understand the whole of Scripture. That's why the only way to interpret Scripture is, remember, look at context and then once you think you have an interpretation, you check that context against the whole of Scripture. And when the two of those come together, you have a correct understanding of the Scriptures. And here Paul is not telling us that we just need to try to be like God. How many of you have tried that, by the way? I know for most of my Christian life, I tried to do the right thing. I tried to be a good Christian. I worked really hard at being a good Christian, and I was miserable. Oh, I wouldn't tell people that because, you know, we're real good at putting on the, the facade of how everything's good. How are you doing? Oh, fine. But I struggled in my walk. Oh, I was in ministry. I've been preaching for 30 years and pastoring churches and in the public eye. But folks, I'm going to be honest with you. 
I wasn't always living the way I wanted to, but I tried. I tried, you know, and, and we'd rededicate ourselves. You know, we'd walk the aisle and say, God, I mean it. I'm going to do better this time. I'm starting over. And I'm going to live for you. Anybody have those kind of times? How'd that work out for you? Not too well. So I want to I warn you, when Paul says imitate God, he's not saying try to be like God. There's no one good but God. I love how Vance Abner puts it. He said, only one Christian life has ever been lived. But he would like to live it again through you and through me. So the second thing is I want to remind you of what we looked at a while ago in Ephesians chapter 3. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3 and look at verse 16. In that big section of how Paul had been praying for his hearers, he prayed very specifically in a lot of ways. But look at what he says in verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may, look at that next word, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. When Paul here is telling us to be imitators of God, he's not saying go try to be like God or try to look like God. He's pointing out the fact that we are to look like God, but he's not saying that we're to do it in our own strength. We need to understand that it's God who gives us the ability. So here's what we're going to get into, the how. It's one of the things I'm learning over the years as, as, as I spend more time in this role that he's called me to of teaching and preaching, is we get a lot of people telling us to go do. But how many of us have been taught how? How? Well, what's we're going to look at? How do we imitate God? The first thing you need, in order, need to do in order to imitate God is you need to know what God looks like. I mean, let's be honest. Don't we all struggle a little bit, and especially some people in the world that are a lot more obvious than others, don't we all struggle a little bit with really understanding who God is? And I mean, how many times have I dealt with people over the years, and they're living in contradiction to Scripture, but they'll say, well, the God that I believe in. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're going to be an imitator of God, according to what the Scripture is teaching us here in Ephesians chapter 5, is you need to know who God is. According to his word, not according to, and we're all guilty of it, not just those people that we like to point out. We all have a tendency sometimes to kind of think, yeah, I know God said that, but he's probably going to ease up on me in that area. Go, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. First Peter chapter one, verse 14 says, oh, that would help if I was in chapter one. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. There we go. Chapter one, verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but he who, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, does anybody else get a little bit of a bellyache when we read that? Now, we're not going to take the time to go into this because that's not the purpose of our study for tonight. But I could walk you through a whole study in the book of Hebrews to show you how the scripture says we've already been made perfect forever, but we're also still being made holy. There's, we're, we're, it's a done deal, but we're in the, still in the process. And so I want to relax you a little bit. This passage is not saying you need to be holy, and if you're not perfectly holy in all your conduct, you're out. But why is it being said to us then? Why is under the spirit, leadership of the Holy Spirit is Peter saying to us Christians, you need to be holy in all your conduct. Why? Because he's wanting us to see who God is. 
You need to understand that God is holy in all that he does. It is who he is. He can't be any other way. Are we perfect in our obedience to God? No, and he knows that. He understands that. He knows our frame. Yet, what is his desire? His desire is to conform us into his image. Did you catch that? His desire is to conform us over a period of time in a process into his image. So don't listen when the enemy comes and says you made a mistake here or you fell into sin here or you didn't act holy here. Therefore, God's all upset with you. No, no. Just understand that this passage is for help us understand if we're going to be imitators of God. One thing that we're going to start to look like if we're going to be noticeable about us is holiness. We need to know in order to live like God, in order to be imitators of God, according to how the scripture teaches, we need to know who God is and what he looks like. So holiness is a part of it. Let me let me show you something else, though, about who he is. Go to Romans. Uh, sorry, not Romans. Go to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. For those of you that are taking notes, if you want to write down Romans eight twenty nine, that's a passage I already quoted to you about how he's planned and predestined to conform us into his image. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, look at what it says here. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Now, interesting here, why does Paul say we need to be like Jesus? Because he just said in Ephesians chapter 5 that we're to be like God. Why is he telling us to be like Jesus? Because Jesus is God. Now, you say, Jim, why would you even ask that question? We know that. Actually, you'd be surprised. Again, when I was pastoring in Chicago a lot of years ago, a man in our church, he was in his 80s, had been a member of the church for a long time. He came to my office one day and uh, he said, you're giving me problems. And I said, what's that? He said, you keep talking like Jesus has always been. He didn't show up until he was born of Mary. And so then I took the time to walk him through how the scripture says in Colossians chapter one, that nothing was made if it wasn't made by Jesus. And how all the way back, and I walked him through all the scriptures, and then I even talked to him in this passage here where it eventually moves into that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. And I took him back to Exodus where the, the Ten Commandments say, you're not to bow down to anyone but God himself. Why is the scripture telling us to bow to Jesus? And this man in his 80s came to realize, wow, Jesus is God. He didn't understand that Jesus was God. He thought he was a good man. He thought he was, you know, lived a, a really good life and been punished on a cross. What was so cool was to have this man come to faith in Christ in his 80s because he came to understand that Jesus is God. So as Paul here in Philippians 2 says, we need to be like Jesus. And remember, he wants us to be imitators of God. What's he pointing out about who God is in this passage? And that's a question. He's humble. To the point of death. This, this, I hope you guys are willing to be honest as we go through this. Don't we struggle a little bit with humility when it comes to situations when people treat us in a way we don't think we're... I'll be honest with you, that's one of the things I struggle with. I don't struggle with pride in the sense of me thinking I'm better than anybody. I don't have that kind of pride. But I know the kind of pride that I have. The kind of pride that I struggle with is I want everybody to think I do everything right. And I want everybody to think good of me at all times. And when I feel like I have been, as they say in today's lingo, dissed, <laughs> it bothers me. But you know what? Jesus 
not only humbled himself and went to the cross, do you realize what happened to him all along the way? Do you understand that in the, in the Gospel of Mark, we see that his own family made fun of him? His mother thought he was out of his mind. When that, that time when they go and he's in this house teaching and his mother and brothers are there and they say, your mothers and brothers are here. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, you'll see that the reason they went to go get him was they thought he was out of his mind. In John chapter 7, as it's time for this one feast, his brothers mocked him and they said, hey, a public figure like you needs to go and you should show yourself. Not only that, even though Peter said, you're Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God, immediately right after that he said, you're wrong. Oh, it got even worse. He was called a half-breed. They called him a Samaritan, a half-breed. They also called him, well, they said, you have a demon. You do the stuff you do because of Beelzebub. They called Jesus, God himself, demon-possessed. Judas was sitting there at a meal pretending to be friendly. And the whole time Jesus already knew that he had already made a deal to betray him. If we are to be imitators of God, in order for us to really be able to move into that direction, we need to understand who God is first. And I, I'm not going to take the time to give you more and more and more of this, but understand, the first thing we see is what? He's holy. And on top of that, we see that God is humble to the point that He's not worried about what it looks like for Him. He's actually concerned about others. Again, we could take all night just breaking down who God is. And by the way, if you're interested in this kind of a study, A.W. Tozer has a wonderful devotional uh, journal. It'll take you six months to go through it, but it's called The Attributes of God. And if, you've, if, you, if you like to do a, a deep study of who God is, get A.W. Tozer's The Attributes of God and begin to walk yourself through that book. It'll be an eye-opener for you. He's got two volumes now? All right, let me, let me show, well... That's good enough for now. Let's keep moving because we've got a lot to cover here. So in order to imitate God, we need to first know what God, who God is and what He looks like. But the second thing, though, is once we see these things... By the way, when you see God, what are you going to recognize about yourself? You're not. <laughs> You're not. Have you ever noticed that? Everybody that had that kind of an experience, immediate reaction was, Whoa, is me. How about Peter? Even just, you know, he's, Jesus is borrowing his boat to preach from on the shore. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, hey, why don't we go out in the deep water and throw out the nets for a catch? Peter says, Lord, we fished all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll humor you. And as soon as they go out and they do this, what does Peter do? He falls on his knees. He says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Isaiah, of all people, is brought into the throne room of God in Isaiah 6. And he sees God. And what's his first response? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and I've seen the Lord of glory. John, who knew Jesus very, very well, when he sees him on, on the Isle of Patmos, he fell at his feet as though dead. Folks, let me just tell you something. Don't let the enemy stop what God's trying to do in those moments when the Spirit of God shows you where you lack. It's an opportunity for God to say, now let me begin, continue my process of conforming you into my image. But... When God shows us these areas of our life which do not look like Him, which, by the way, I don't know if you're like me, it's daily. It's okay. It's a part of the process. It's, I mean, He's in the process of conforming me into His image. You know, there's not going to be some days I don't need conforming into His image. If, if I had a day in which I didn't need conforming into His image, He'd take me home. I'm done. You know? Now, at the same time, though, when these times come, what are we to do? This is the part that's going to shock you. You need to ask God to do it.
See, it's not now when you do, go and try and do it. You need to ask God to do it. Now, I've done this a while ago. Some of you may not remember. Some of you may. That's why I love preaching to some of you. You don't remember anything, and so I can just say the same things over and over. But we've been told all our life to glorify God, haven't we? I mean, doesn't it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, no matter what you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God? And the preachers have stood out and they said to you, go glorify God. That's your sermon today. Go glorify God. But they don't tell you how, do they? So ask me how. How? how. All right, well, I'll tell you how. In order, the Bible says in, in John chapter 15, verse 8, that this is how we glorify God if we bear fruit. So the message is not glorify God. The message is now go bear fruit. That's your sermon for tonight. Go bear fruit. Exactly. How? Well, actually, the Bible shows us how in John chapter 15 as well. In, uh, in verse 5, it says, uh, if we abide, we'll bear fruit. So the message isn't glorify God. The message isn't bear fruit. The message is abide. Here's what you got to do, guys. Go abide. How? Well, he says, if you obey my commands, you'll abide in my love. If you obey my commands, you'll abide. Well, so the focus is now about, is obeying his commands. But guess what? You need to say how. You need to say how on that. We think we know how to, okay, I'll just go obey him. No, 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 no. How? Here's the how. In that same passage, he says this in John chapter 14. He says it three times, actually, in John chapter 14. He says this. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Well, that's what your message is then. Go love God. Exactly. How? I gotta be honest with you. Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul longs after you. When can I go meet with God? I gotta be honest with you. I've sung the song. That isn't how I always feel. I don't always have this continual passion of a hunger for God. Oh, we pretend. We might even do this. But I don't always feel it. How do I love God? Well, the Bible says in order to love God, you got to know God. I mean, how can you love somebody you don't know? So go know God. Well, how can you know God? Well, you got to meditate on Him. That's how you can get to know Him. You spend time in His Word and time in prayer and you meditate on Him. How? Well, I'll be honest with you, you can't even do that unless you have a hunger and a thirst. So that's your, that's your sermon for tonight. Go have a hunger and thirst for God. How? Yes, it all comes down to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. You're already here in chapter 2, verse, verses 5 and following we already looked at. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you see it? God is the one who will give you the desire and work it. He has set up the whole plan of salvation. All of Christianity comes down to this. And if we're willing, we, the scripture has been saying this all along. How does salvation, how does God do his salvation? We see in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, verse 10, we all know no one's righteous, not even one. Verse 11 says no one understands, no one seeks God. John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, right? But verse 45 clears it up, by the way. He draws everybody. He says, as it says in the prophets, they all will be taught by God. Whoever listens comes to me. 
By the way, there's a big difference between hearing and listening. Those of you who have teenagers, you know what I'm talking about, right? Hearing and listening are two different things. The whole world hears. Everybody hears. God loved the whole world. He died for the whole world. He calls everyone. Now, not everybody listens, but that's how God does his salvation. He initiates it. We weren't even looking for him. We don't even want him. But he begins that process of stirring our hearts. We then need to respond. And what does he say? Ask me for salvation. Isn't that interesting? He wants to give it to us. He's already died on the cross to cover our sins. And he wants to give us eternal life. But he set it up that we now need to come and ask him. And in Luke chapter 11, as he talks about the friend who comes at midnight and has these three loaves of bread, and he talks about how because of this man's um, impudence or persistence or boldness or shamelessness, that's what he responds to. The, the fact that he saw him as someone he could go to and he believed he would do it. And then what does Jesus say? Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And those of you who are earthly parents, your son asks for a fish, you're going to give him a snake? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Oh, by the way, we've hopefully understood that when it comes to getting saved in the beginning part. Remember, justification has three parts. I'm sorry, salvation has three parts. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. We understand that you have to ask Him and say, Jesus, I believe, would I receive it. Would you please give me eternal life? But folks, that's what the Bible's been teaching us all along, is after that point... In the whole middle part of our salvation as well, it's still the same way. God's word shows us you need to be like me. You need to be holy. You need to have a hunger. You need to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But you still have to ask him because it's God. What's that? Yeah, you, that's a part of it is, is humbling ourselves and asking him, Lord, I don't even have a desire for you that I want. Would you give it to me? Oh, guess what starts to happen? He puts a desire in your heart. And all of a sudden, because of that hunger and that thirst, you start meditating on him. Oh, and the more you start to meditate on him, guess what happens? You get to know him. And when you get to know him, you fall in love with him. And when you fall in love with him, you obey his commands. And when you obey his commands, you're in the abiding relationship. And when you're in the abiding relationship, you start bearing fruit. And when you bear fruit, you glorify God. We have over the years, myself included, we've preached the wrong end of the story. We've heard, go glorify God. And we tried. We tried to be imitators of God. You can't. Those of you that had a book that I've signed for you, I put a scripture in there. Does anybody know what the scripture was that I put in? The every, I put it in the every single book that I've signed. Does anybody know what it is? Second Thessalonians 3.5. Look at what it says, because some of you probably never looked it up. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Does Paul say you need to love God and be perseverant like Christ? No. He says, may God direct your hearts into his love and into the steadfastness of Christ. Folks, and we'll get to it when we get to that part of Ephesians, when it talks about not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the spirit. We're going to talk about the need to keep on drinking, keep on seeking, keep on asking. So you want to be an imitator of God? You first got to find out who God is and what he looks like. When that happens, you'll see yourself for who you are. That's okay. God's not mad. He knows that. He's now glad that you recognize it. And then he wants you to ask him 
to grant you, isn't that how he worded it in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16? That he would grant you with his power in your spirit, in your inner being. <coughs> Lord, I want this. You want this for me. Would you do it? I believe you will. I'm going to act in obedience to what you say, and I'm going to trust that you're going to do it. Isn't that how you got saved? Lord, you said you'd give me eternal life. I need it. I want it. I'm going to ask you to give it to me, and I'm going to act like it is true. Go back to Ephesians 5. Paul, in telling us to imitate God, gives us some further encouragement and instruction in how he tells us to do it. He says, be imitators of God, but I love the rest of this, as beloved children. This is, a, this, this is pretty cool here when you take the time to really look at it. We're to imitate God as beloved children. That's how we're to act as we're imitators of God. We need to first of all understand that we're beloved children. In other words, we need to imitate God or let him have control of our lives so he lives his life through us, as Paul said. Not begrudgingly or under compulsion, but in response to our position as beloved children of God. Again, haven't we over the years pretty much seen the Christian life as a life of duty and commitment and faithfulness and obligation? Isn't that kind of how we've kind of had it taught to us? And we've got to try to be committed and be faithful and, and fulfill your duty as a Christian. And many of us have grown up thinking that was the Christian life. It's not. Even when it comes to giving, God says, look, I don't want you to do it unless your heart's in it. I love how uh, uh, years ago I heard a story about how Billy Graham was in a church service where he wasn't preaching, but he was sitting there and the offering plate was passed. And as they passed the offering plate, he uh, he threw a 10 in by accident. He meant to throw a five and he threw a 10 in. And as it went by, he realized, oh, dip, that was a 10. And he reached back for it. And his wife slapped his hand and she said, what are you doing? <laughs> he said, I meant to put in a 10, a five and I accidentally put in a 10. And she said, well, in God's eyes, that 10's a five now. <laughs> What does the Bible say when it comes to even to be obedient to the tithe? And you're to do it cheerfully as a cheerful giver, not begrudgingly. Peter says the same thing to those who serve in leadership in the church. Don't do it because you must, but because you're willing. God wants us to respond in obedience to him and imitating him and living his life, live his life through us. Not because it's the thing to do. Not because it's the Christian way to live. But because of the fact that we're beloved children. You probably don't see kids do that when their parents are not loving. Jesus embraced the cross because he knew of his father's love for him. Let me show you a couple of things real quick. Go to John 16. John chapter 16. I want you to see something here and then you're, in a little bit you're going to see Paul live it out. Everything he's telling us here, you're going to see Paul live out in just a second. It's almost word for word. In John chapter 16, look at verse 32. Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet, I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I want to take a second here to just talk to some of you that are out there listening right now, either here or on, online. Some of you are mad at, at people because they let you down. 
Some of you have issues right now because of things that have happened to you or someone you thought was going to be there for you and they weren't there for you and you are holding a grudge. I love you. Please hear what I'm about to say in the way that I mean, mean it, but I got to tell you straight up, if you're mad at man because they let you down, you have a small view of God. Amen. You really don't understand who he is and if you're his child, who you are. Jesus said, yes, if you look at it, everybody's going to leave me all alone. And there can be even some of you going to pretend you didn't even know me, let alone ignore me. You're going to pretend you, and you're going to tell people you never even knew me. But I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Put a bookmark here in John and, and go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And look at verse 18. You want to talk about being an imitator of Christ? 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse uh, so I said 18, it's 16. Verse 16. Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. By the way, where is he writing this from again? Yeah. And he's saying, they all left me, but I'm not upset with them because God was with me and he'll be with me all the way to the end. Folks, remember how we talked about, does anybody remember in that list of things that we went through tonight? To obey God's commands, you have to what? You have to love Him. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And if you're going to love Him, you have to first understand His love for you. And we'll get to that in just a second. But go to John chapter 17. I told you to keep bookmark there in John. Look at chapter 17. Look at verses 24 through 26. I love this whole chapter and how it just, it, if you really take the time to really study John 17, it'll be used to God to really open your eyes to the depth of his relationship with the Father and some wonderful deep theology. Because he gives us a picture of what's going on in heaven a little bit and how God's orchestrating things. Even things on this earth that don't make sense make a whole lot more sense when you look at John 17. Look at verse 24. Father, Jesus is praying. He says, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. That's he's praying for us. To see my glory that you have given me, listen, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Guys, you have an, uh, uh, an obedience issue you probably have a love issue. And you can't go love God. You need to ask Him. He'll give you a hunger and a thirst, a desire, and then you'll spend time meditating and you'll get to know Him. And when you get to know Him, you're going to fall in love with Him and you're going to know how much He loves you. And when that happens, trust me, listen to someone who's been there going through it just like you. When you really start to understand the love of God and His patience and His mercy and His kindness towards you, you will have no trouble being obedient. You will be an imitator of God as a beloved child. There's an interesting story uh, where Jesus goes into this one Pharisee's house. And the guy's name is Simon. And 
This woman who had lived a real sinful life comes and touches Jesus and cries and wipes her tears on his feet. and She uses her hair to dry his feet. And the Pharisee thinks to himself, if this man really were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman was touching him. Jesus, knowing his thoughts, because he knows all our thoughts, there's nothing. Well, Psalm 139 says there's not a word on my tongue before you even know it all completely. Jesus said, uh, Simon, let me ask you a question. He said, these two people owed a debt. One owed a small debt, one owed a large debt. Um, and they were both forgiven. Which one will love more? And Simon said, the one that's been forgiven more. He said, yes, you judge correctly. For those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. Now, we, gotta, we can't, can't stay there. Because remember, if you're going to interpret a passage of Scripture, you not only need to understand context, you need to check it against the whole of Scripture. It sounds like in that passage that there are those who have been forgiven more than other people, doesn't it? It does. Sounds like that. That those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. But remember James chapter 2, verse 10. You've heard me talk to you about it before. It says, if you're able to keep the whole law, yet stumble at just one point, you're what? You're guilty as if you broke it all. So if we're all guilty as if we broke it all, is there anybody that's been forgiven more than anybody else? So what was Jesus saying? Yes. Those who realize they've been forgiven much, love much. Those who think they've been forgiven little, love little. And don't we have a tendency sometimes to see that person who's got that drug problem, who's got that alcohol problem, who's got those issues in their life, they've been with so many different mates. Don't we have a tendency at times to say, well, I'm glad they're here because they need to hear the gospel, but not as much as me? Or so, you know, are they need it more than me, is what I mean? Do you understand what I'm saying? Isn't there a tendency for us to think, there are those that are worse. Folks, let me just tell you, when you really begin to go down this road of really getting to know who God is so that you can imitate him by the power of his spirit and you let God really show you where you are, where you really begin to reveal your heart. Of course, Satan's going to jump in at that moment and say, what a horrible person you are and God doesn't like you. And No, no, no. Don't fall for that stuff. You're his beloved child. But as he reveals to you the real seat of your heart, you're going to start to understand how much he has already forgiven you and how much you're loved. And your response is going to be to love much. It's just going to happen. I promise you. I promise you it's going to happen. Oh, and by the way, you're going to stop looking at everybody else. That's one of the things we have a tendency to do, isn't it? Just like kids. You, you point out one of your kids' faults, what do they always do? And they point to one of their brothers or sisters and point out their faults, don't they? Boy, once you start to really understand where you are, you won't do that. Now... We can lay aside our fleshly desires and trust God in obedience because we know God loves us and has our best interest at heart in all that he does for us and asks us to do. But we also love others because in imitating God, remember, God is, God is love. That's another aspect and attribute of who he is. You're going to be an imitator of God. You're going to be a person who loves others. Now, for those of you that kind of remember what 1 Corinthians 13 says about love, love is what? Patient. Don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush. Patient. Kind. Not self-seeking. It doesn't boast. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It hardly ever notices when it's done wrong. It doesn't matter. This isn't, a, this isn't a test to see if you get them all right. I'm just, do you understand what I'm saying, though? It endures all things, hopes all things. Doesn't it sound like that person that's full of love is going to be a positive person? They're going to be a real, you're going to want to be around that kind of person. 
let's be honest, most of us have a tendency to get negative, don't we? Especially in this day and age when things are going to get worse and worse. By the way, there are some preachers out there that tell you there's going to be this great revival. Read your Bibles. As the wickedness increases, the love of most is going to grow cold. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse until the end. And actually, Jesus said, it's going to get so bad, if it weren't for the elect, no one would be saved. I mean, would be spared. Everybody's going to die. It's that bad. Now, are there people, am I, am, I, am I praying for people to come to know Jesus? Yes. Am I telling the truth about what's going on so that they would get saved? Yes. I'm not giving up on preaching the gospel. But understand what the Bible says, folks. The Bible says it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So when you start to see the news and read everything, don't get shocked. Everything's right on schedule. We are one day closer to home. But understand this. In this world, I'm going to ask you a simple question. Is it dark? Is the world dark right now? Is it getting darker? Half of it. Scientific response over there. Yeah. It's getting spiritually, Susan, is it dark? There we go. Yeah. It's, uh, listen, here's what. Then it should be easy to shine as lights in this world, should it not? I'm not here to convict. That's the Holy Spirit's job. They should be, it should be easy for, we shouldn't even have to work at letting our light shine. It should be pretty noticeable to the people around us now in this day and age in which we live. But you know what part of the problem is? We haven't learned how to imitate God. Exactly. But we're too busy sounding like everybody else. You don't understand as I travel and deal with churches and help them try to get turned back around. I'm so tired of hearing churches, well, the economy's bad. That's why our giving is down. That's why our attendance is down. The economy. I'm like, since when did the economy have an effect on Almighty God? He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Money's nothing to him. Yet we're all walking around moaning and griping. and Folks, it's time we go back to knowing what the book says. Line, checking it against ourselves. Using it as a mirror. What he shows us. Well, doesn't the Bible say don't be anxious about anything? Why don't we start there? How are you doing? I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being honest here. The Bible says don't be anxious about anything. Jesus said it himself. Paul repeated him. If you're anxious, you're not looking like the book says you're supposed to look. What do you do? Beat yourself up because you're a horrible Christian. I'm such a horrible light. I'm just a bad light. No, 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 no. Uh, hey, Lord, here's an area you've shown me that I'm not looking like you. I want to look like you. Oh, by the way, I don't need to go to some self-help class and read a Zig Ziglar book and all of a sudden I'll feel better. Lord, you need to change my heart, but put that desire in me. Show me what your word says. Teach me to trust you. And oh, what are you to do? Sit back and wait until God does it? No, you now act on what he has said, believing that he'll do it. You trust him and you do what it is that he's leading you to do. And you watch little by little. You'll find out, hey, I can ride the bike. Remember when your kids were little and they tried it first? They didn't do too good, did they? And they wanted to quit, didn't they? Every one of them said, see those training wheels? Could you put them back on? But you were patient. Why? Because you knew in the end this is going to be good for you. And you kept holding them and walking with them and saying, try it again. Try it again. Try it again. And then one day they got it. Guess what? Your Heavenly Father knows that you're going to want the training wheels back on. And he's going to keep putting you in situations where you're very uncomfortable and you don't like it. But guess what? One day you're going to go, hey, I trusted him.
Something so happened and I didn't get worried. I, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but uh, this morning, uh, Becky got a phone call about something she's been really working on for a long, long time. And she found out this morning that all of her work probably might not accomplish anything and actually might need to be scrapped or reworked. And she was literally in the last days of a month-long project. And she got a phone call this morning as soon as she got up that it might be changed. And she got excited. I laid there in bed going. <laughs> and I had to tell her, I'm proud of you. That's a God response. That's a God response. She goes, God's doing something. And I'm excited about what it's going to be. She didn't look about how it affected her. Her eyes were on God. We not only love God because God is love. We also love because he loved us first. Let me just, you know this passage, but I'm going to read it to you. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, and then verses 16 through 19. Uh, if you want to turn there, you can. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11, and verses 16 through 19. Yep. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God. That's that verse, by the way, that I didn't reference to back when we said, how do you love God? You have to know him. All right. Doesn't know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. God abides in us. And his love is per perfect. Sorry, we ought to love one another. We'll just stop there. Go to verse uh, 16. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. That's verse 19. You can see my eyes are starting to work on me. That was, I thought that was verse 16. Go to verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear, fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, again, because of time and what I want to cover in our time that we wrap up, I, I don't want to go a whole lot more into it. I've kind of hammered it enough. Hopefully you understand this. If we're to be beloved children and respond as beloved children, we understand how much God loves us and how much that God is love, and we're going to imitate him in that way. And, and, and folks, if you're having a little trouble in that area, don't set out tonight to say, I'm going to do a better job of love, of loving. Uh, yeah, you need, you need to go say, Lord, you've just shown me in the mirror of your word an area that I'm not looking like you right now. And uh, I could try to go do it, but I can't. So you said you would, though. You said that I have in me, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. So everything I need for life and godliness is already here by your spirit within me. Lord Jesus, would you put a heart of love in me in this situation? Begin to show me what that looks like and start making that change in my heart. He will. He will. He will. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm not going to take the time to have you turn there, but in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, if you have any comfort from his love, if any compassion, in this, any tenderness and fellowship with his spirit, then make my joy complete by 
being like-minded, having thoughts for other people first instead of yourself. Did you catch that? He didn't say, hey guys, go think of others before yourself. He said, it needs to come out of your understanding of God's love for you. All right? Now, um, lastly, we see something else about Jesus' willing sacrifice for our sin, of himself for our sins that we looked at in Philippians chapter 2. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and look at what it says. <clears throat> and walk in love, verse 2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, in order for us to do what we need to do in the time we have left, I'm going to ask a few of you to look up some scriptures, and I'm going to give them to you, and I'm going to have you read them for us good and loud so this microphone picks up um, for the people that are listening online. All right? So, Jesus offered himself as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. All right? So, we want to take some time to look at that and really take a look at what that means. And what, why did he tell us that? Is it so we could just clap and say, good for you, Jesus? Or is there something that he wants us to apply to our lives? All right. So the fragrant offering, real quickly, look at Revelation chapter 5. This is everybody. These are the scriptures we're all going to look together. And then I'm going to give you a bunch for us all to look up individually or, or the ones I give you. Revelation chapter 5, ver, uh, verse 8, and then Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> Here in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. John, as you know, has been brought into the throne room of God. He's taken up to see what's going to take place next. And in verse 8 it says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are what? The prayers of the saints. He said these incense, what, what, what filled these bowls, what, was, what actually constituted the incense before God in his throne room, were the prayers of the saints. Now, go with me to Revelation chapter 8 and look at verses 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the, of the saints rose up before God from the hand of the angel. Now, what do you all know about incense? It smells good. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? I mean, hopefully you don't burn incense that makes you feel sick. You know, if there was such a thing as bacon incense, I might start burning some incense. That, that would be good, wouldn't it? That would be really good. But, but we'll make a Chick-fil-A commercial. We'll just do a Chick-fil-A incense. How about that? There you go. But uh, here's the deal. The Bible says that our prayers come up before him continually. How do you say continually? He didn't say continually. Yes, it does. Because remember in the, when he gave him the picture in the wilderness of the tabernacle and then the temple and how they had to continually make sure the incense was burning continually? What? That was a picture of what's really going on in heaven. And what's really in heaven is not some incense that they're doing, but the incense is our prayers, our worship of God, our focus on him. By the way, don't hear prayer as go get in your closet and oh thee and thou and all. No, no, folks, prayer is talking with God. Doesn't the Bible say pray continually? Pray without ceasing. Just simply have a heart and a focus on God. Talk to Him all the time. By the way, you may or may not know it, but as I'm teaching and preaching here, I'm talking to God the whole time. I'm literally saying, do I go here? Do I go there? Lord will bring something to my mind. And also, a lot of times I'll go, thank you. That really, that's, that's actually, that'll kind of save the message here. But you know, that kind of thing. I'm talking to God all the time. We're to live in a state where our focus is on Him, not on ourselves, but on Him. And our worship of Him actually comes up before God continually. And it smells good. Our listening. listening. Again, I'm not trying to beat you up. This is not the purpose of this question. But God gives us his word. 
so we can use it as a mirror to show us where we are. So that he can then, once we recognize where we are and start thinking we're somewhere else, Remember, like I told you before, if God wants to move you from here to here, he can't move you from here to here if you think you're already here. What's he got to do? He's got to help you recognize I'm actually here. That's good. I'm not mad that you're here. I've known that you're here. Now I'm glad that you recognize it. Let me help you move from where you are to where I want you to be. I'm going to ask you a question. If it prayers and a continual life of continual focus on him come up before him continually as a sweet smelling aroma, how much of a sniff do you give him? How much of a sniff do you give him? Again, please don't feel condemnation that God doesn't condemn. He wants you to see stuff so that he can move you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And the Bible says that Jesus's worship of God. How did he live his life when he was on this earth? Was he God? Yes, he was God. Being very nature God. He said, I and the Father are one. And in the Greek, it actually means you could translate it. We have the exact same DNA. We are one. I and the Father are one. Yet he did not claim his rights, full rights of godness. Yet he humbled himself. He took the form of a servant. He let people call him demon-possessed when he created all the angels and had power over them, and they knew it. He let people who thought they were smarter than him, like Peter, tell him he was wrong. And he just lovingly said, you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. He continued to live a life of submission. Why? Because his father had given him a role and he submitted himself to that role. And why did he do it? Because of the joy set before him, Hebrews also says. Also because of his love for the father and his understanding of his father's love for him. And he was able to live his life. And guess what? Because Jesus, well, how did he put it in John chapter 5, verse 17? He said, my father is always at his work to this very day and I to him working. And then in verse 19, he says, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his father doing. What did Jesus do? He lived continually in that state of communion and focus on God. We have days and times where we kind of slip out of it, don't we? Jesus never, ever, 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 ever did. Oh, there's only one place, by the way, that we see in the scriptures where he actually didn't have that communion. And that's when he was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened? He was separated. Now, again, don't ask me later how he separated himself from himself. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how God can separate himself from himself, but he did. And he experienced hell for us. And then immediately he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's finished. It's paid for. Jesus' whole life was a continual burning of incense before the Father. It wasn't just his prayer time. It was his whole life. Why? Because he was talking to the Father the whole time. We see it in John chapter 11 as he's walking up to the tomb. And he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know you always hear me. I just said that for the benefit of the people standing. He just prayed what we tend to, I tend to pray prayers like that quietly. He prayed it out loud just for the benefit of the people. In the same way, Jesus, and you can do the same. It, how are you going to do? You're going to be perfect at it? No. But I promise you, if you begin to say, Lord, give me this. Lord, I want this. You say, you, if I ask anything according to your will, you hear me and I have the things I ask. Lord, I want a heart for you. He'll do it. Now, you've got to trust him. That doesn't mean tomorrow you're going to go and you know, jump on a boat to India or something like that. But he's going to begin his process or continue. But now he's going to even work even more as you're yielding yourself to what he wants for you. And watch what he does. But here's the second part. It also, his life was a sacrifice. Now, in order to deal with this term sacrifice, we need to keep something in mind. So here's, I'm going to give you some scriptures. Somebody raise your hand if you're ready to do it. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Who wants to take that one? 
All right, Sheila, you got that? 1 Samuel 15, 22. Psalm 51, 16, and 17. You got that? Thank you, Niggy. Um, uh, Hosea 6, 6. You got it? It's Ryan? Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. You're going to have to be good and loud from the back row, but I think you can do it. You're a boss. You can yell. All right. Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. You got it, Thomas? Thank you. All right. Listen closely to what these passages say about sacrifice. When we start getting into sacrifice, I don't want you to hear the word the wrong way. All right? 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Verse 22. Verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. All right, here he says that the sacrifice isn't as important as what? Obedience, Obedience to God. All right, so don't make sacrifice. I did a sacrifice. No, no, don't make sacrifice the focus. Obedience is the focus. Okay, uh, Psalm 51, Miggy. Verses uh, 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, <clears throat> else would I give it. Thou desirest not in burnt offerings, thou not in burnt offerings, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Isn't that cool? David says, that, look, if you just wanted me to go just offer some sacrifice, I'd do it. But I know that's not your heart. What you're looking for is what? What did she read? You're looking for what? A broken heart and a bro contrite heart and a broken spirit. In other words, one that says it's not about me, it's about what God wants. That's what he's looking for. Oh, by the way, as you start hearing these scriptures, you're going to find out what sacrifice really means. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, Ryan. Uh, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Desires mercy, not sacrifice, and a knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Again, this sacrifice that the Bible's talking about isn't focusing on what we're giving up as much as it's the attitude of your heart of humility and submission and yieldedness, right? It gets even more clear in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Thomas? But what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I don't know if many of you know that passage. If you haven't, please go take some time to really look at Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. In that whole passage, in the context there, God has set up a courtroom, and God is the judge and the jury. And God is weighing Israel in the balance. And God now has just made an edict that they are guilty. And their response is, what do we do? Do you want us to sacrifice something? I mean, you've taught us this sacrificial system, and there's like lambs and goats and pigeons and grain and, and, and drink offerings and wave offerings. And which sacrifice do you want us to do? Do you want me to sacrifice a, a, a thousand rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? And then they even get to the point where they say, do you want us to sacrifice our firstborn son? Sin of my, uh, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. God, is that what you want? Is that what I got to do to make this right? What have I got to do? To make this right. Isn't that our first response as well? Give up yourself. Exactly. <laughs> this is what he said. What He's already shown you what he requires. To love mercy, to do justly, and to walk humbly with your God. Folks, what is sacrifice that he's looking for? Yieldedness. 
Submission. Well, how does Romans 12, 1 and 2, we all can quote that one, can't we? How does it say it? Therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable service, whatever translation you have. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the daily renewing of your mind. And oh, and then you'll know what God's will is. I love the rest of that, too. But what's he saying? He goes, what I'm looking for from you is a life that is continual fragrance before me. And you set aside on a daily basis continually your will. By the way, you know why God's mercies are new every morning? The Bible says His mercies are new every morning. You know that, right? Do you know why His mercies are new every morning? Because your flesh gets up every morning, too. You know, you have the same thing with Cain and Abel. Exactly. I mean, that was a thing of the heart. It yeah, it wasn't. Some people tried to make it, well, one was a blood sacrifice. That wasn't what it was at all. It was, one, it was the heart. God responded to the heart in the sacrifice between Cain and Abel. Folks? You know what? It's true. When we're willing to admit our mess ups and because say, he uses those to conform us to his without question, as you've heard me say before, Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift his wheat and I prayed for you. And I didn't pray that you'd pass the test. I prayed that when you fail it, that you won't quit because this is going to be good for you. And when you return, I'm going to use you to strengthen the brothers. Folks, all that was just in two verses. There's so much, so much cool stuff here in his word. Now, we're going to come back next week and we're going to deal with when he starts getting into sexual immorality. And we live in a day and age in which the problem and the temptation has increased. Uh, I'm just going to give you a little commercial for where we're headed next week. When I was uh, younger, if someone wanted to look at something they weren't supposed to look at, they had to go to a store and buy it and hope nobody saw them. Or go to a certain place and hope nobody recognized their car. Nowadays, nobody knows. And it's in there and it's everywhere, but the Lord does. And so as we remember, this all is in the context of being imitators of God. The purpose of what we're going to do next week is to really break down that section on sexual immorality and what it talks about. Not from the purpose of beating you up and making you feel bad, but for the purposes of using it as a mirror of God's word to show you how he looks at it. Oh, by the way, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> He's going to talk about no crude jokes, uh, coarse talk. He's going to talk about how it's not even appropriate for us to even talk about the things that those people do that don't know the Lord. We may feel a little bit of conviction next week. That's okay. It's good for us. Remember, the purpose is not to beat us up. The purpose is to show us where we really are so he can move us from where we actually are to where he wants us to be. He's in the process of conforming you into his image. Take the time to let the Spirit of God prepare you for where we're going to go next week. Father, again, thank you for this chance to come and to study your word. Lord, I thank you for how this hour just goes by so quick every week. But Lord, that's because of you and because of your word. And there's something that's happening in our hearts because we know it's truth and it's alive. And Lord, and, and, and you're able to speak it to us in such a way that it, it releases us from, from false teaching and bad teaching over the years into really getting to know you for who you are. Lord, may it no longer be about us or how good we did May we really begin to help us to continue to really receive all that you have for us that you've just been waiting for us to ask. We pray this in your name. Amen.